It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. Another week and a cluster of headlines that should either concern or interest us all, very few of which you will see extensively covered anywhere, which is where we come in. Education is our middle name. Let's speak to our man with the mortarboard and the pointy stick. He is the green <laughs> entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, hello. Yeah, Ian, how you doing? Good as gold at this end. Uh, lots going on. You are um, busy, as we record this, packing your bags. Yeah, that's right. I'm off uh, off home to do that next, actually. Got a fairly early start to London uh, on my way to Austria to meet the man, Arnie, part of his climate uh, foundation uh, initiative with some kind of charity auction going on. We've made him a signet ring uh, with sky diamonds in it. We've made an identikit one for auction, somebody to be able to buy. Two in the world like it. And yeah, generally, you know, I hope to have a bit of fun. I've got a two-day train trip, plenty of email opportunity, and um, I'm kind of looking forward to it, you know, get a beer on the train. And- well, a beer on the train, uh, ready for a soiree with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to it's not to like. like about this. I mean, if, <laughs> if right. Thompson's were selling that as a holiday, <laughs> everybody out. would be queuing up for a bit of that, <laughs> wouldn't they? Yeah, my life's all right at times, yeah. isn't it? Well, most of the time, I never complain. Actually, it's uh, yeah, this this will be a bit of fun. It'll eat a couple of days, but um, it, it'll be That's fun and worthwhile, right. I think. We will report, of course, next week on how that all went, uh, and we look forward to that. Let's start with this. This is, uh, in fact, this is stag- it, it isn't staggering, and it is. It's an Exxon story. Exxon scientists accurately predicted climate change in the nineteen seventies. Mm, yeah, what a story. So somebody at Harvard did a study of all internal and external Exxon documents that were available. A whole bunch got released uh, a few years ago, I think. And they found that scientists working for Exxon predicted with remarkable accuracy, not just the models and then the subsequent models in terms of uh, the rate of climate change and temperature climb, but they also predicted the actual event itself with remarkable accuracy, up to 80% accurate. So back then, back in the other century, these oil barons knew what they were doing while they were denying that climate change was a thing and that it was man-made and that we needed to do anything about it. Their internal science told them the opposite. So they actually, that's kind of, I was just trying to picture the boardroom meeting or meetings when they, that they had that they, you know, look, sir, have you, I think you better see this. (laughs) And they obviously looked at it and then they digested it and then they chucked it in a shredder. Something like that. So the guy who authored the Harvard study, he described them as two-handed on this topic. I think he meant two-faced because he said they engaged with uh, academia and scientists quite quietly on the one hand uh, and constructively in terms of understanding the science. And then in public, the other face they showed was complete denial of a problem. It wasn't a bit of denial. It wasn't even as if back then in particular, and even up until quite recently, that they were just sort of toying with the idea of, well, you know, we understand concerns. This was a flat out nothing to see here moment from the oil company. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of ties into a story from the other week. We talked about Puerto Rico, a state of the US, yeah. using the racketeering laws to take a whole bunch of oil and car companies actually to court to sue them based on them being part of something called the Global Climate Coalition, this nefarious group of oil and car companies that set out to disrupt the uh, COP process, the agreement process uh, for carbon targets. And I happened to be at COP4 in Argentina and uh, along with uh, Greenpeace, infiltrated an early morning meeting of these guys. And we saw them just carve up the day. They allocated somebody to go to every session everywhere and slow down progress. And we've just reached out to the administration of Puerto Rico and the people leading the legal challenge there to offer to uh, give evidence. Wow. Uh, we shall watch with interest. Uh, here's a question that comes from Nathan, who emailed and says, Dale, I'm a big fan. You've confused me, though. Just heard you talking about your heat pump frustrations on a recent podcast as I was literally just about to press the button on an air source heat pump. The house is large and EPCA rated, so I think it's right for us. What is the alternative? If not, you promote going green and using fewer fossil fuels, so I can't understand what else to do. Well, I mean, it's a good you question. You need to sort Nathan out here, Dale. <laughs> yeah. It's like most things in life. It's not actually a kind of a simple story here. Heat pumps can be good. So if you've got a well-insulated home, if you've got underfloor heating in particular, they're more suited to that than they are traditional radiators. But you can get low-temperature radiators, which are just bigger, to work better with a heat pump. So they basically produce – heat pumps produce lower-temperature water. And they don't work – well at all when the air is the coldest when you need the heat the most so my heat pump can't keep up when the when the temperatures drop to uh, less than zero no i didn't put it in i bought the house with it like it it's a well insulated home but um but the heat pump can't keep up so there's no simple answer right heat pump might be right for you and it might not be. The alternative we think nationally is a green gas program uh, with gas made from grass uh, because something like uh, 50% of all homes aren't suitable for a heat pump anyway. And uh, and for those that are suitable, it's a fairly big cost. You've got to modify your heating system as well. And it will put your energy bills up by nearly 50% every year. Your whole household energy bills will go up. So it's a bit swings and roundabouts. Uh, it can work for some people. It won't work for everybody. And even probably, I dare say, most yeah. So what are, the, I mean, you mentioned, we, we've talked many times about the grass alternative, but of course it's, uh, I mean, at the moment that is, it's not just a theory. We know that it works and you've made some progress there, but of course to get this rolled out in a bigger way, I mean, what's the status of that suggestion? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this project, our very first gas mill should, uh, I thought it was going to go live in February. I've been saying that everywhere and I've just been told today, no, it's going to slip to March. So I'm going to pin my hat now on the end of March, uh, believing that it can't slip past that. So it, ultimately, though, in a few weeks' time, this gas mill will be operating, will be putting gas made from grass into the grid in Reading, enough for 3,000 homes every year, and we'll have an event, we'll get politicians and the media to come down and see the proof of this pudding and hopefully then get some interest in a national program because it's just crying out to be done. We've done the study with Imperial College. There's enough grass in Britain to make all of the gas that we need and it could solve so many problems. End our dependence on dodgy regimes for gas. We could permanently lower the price of gas, create 160,000 jobs in the rural economy and, and just save billions and billions of pounds a year and get zero carbon gas, which is a big step towards net zero as a country. 
How do you work out who the 3,000 homes are that get it? <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> we just stuff it in the grid. And we have more than 3,000 customers right there buying the gas. And our job as an energy company is to measure what we put into the grid and measure what our customers take out and then balance the two things. So does that mean that, and, and you could explain maybe a bit about how the, 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 the kind of costs work a, a little, Dale, I, I won't put you fully on the spot here because I appreciate this is a wider or a deeper discussion. But if my house is fueled by grass, then surely my energy bill should be about 20 quid a year. <laughs> Ultimately, it could be, right? If we do it right as a national program, it could be. Uh, there are lots of things that have to change to make that so. These are in the hands of government. So it needs a, a national focus, not just a building program, but changing the regulations of the game. I talk frequently about that, you know, kind of tipping the playing field back to at least level, if not in favor of renewable energy through taxes, subsidies, and regulations. It needs that as well to make this gas permanently cheap uh, as you described it maybe not quite 20 quid but you know yeah but if you had a what what, what is the situation where if you can supply cheaper energy uh, in a housing estate for example it was divided into two are there rules in place that mean though that that the even though you're getting cheaper energy uh, like people who have re- you know renewables at the moment energy companies will still be charging you lots of money no there's no rules in place uh, really to to make that happen you know you can be with an energy company that you want and they all charge slightly different prices although mostly they're the same now because of the price cap and the energy crisis there's no real choice um i mean ultimately we we just need an national energy supply system that's what i think we don't need uh you know what have we got now maybe 20 different companies because we lost 30 kind of in a in a faux competitive market because there's no competition it's it's a kind of nationally run state run faux private market and um, we don't need that right we should just go straight for national ownership labor's gb energy plan is a lot like that only focused on what we build next having that in public ownership then we can cut through all of this confusion and crap quite frankly about who you buy your energy from and what price you get because we can all get the same price uh, and the same service and the same energy but it, it does require doesn't it an awful lot i mean a lot of energy companies will either have to eat humble pie or just completely change the way they work i mean if your grass revolution happened uh then that would mean that you know everybody from british gas to god knows who else would be scuppered yeah i mean they wouldn't be scuppered per se because um that gas would be sold into the grid and a lot of those energy companies don't make stuff they just buy and sell stuff so people and british gas do make stuff from the north sea unfortunately but you know uh companies like that could just buy it from the wholesale market so they could still have grass gas and and have the price advantage so there are kind of two different industries really there's the generating industry or in this case gas making industry and then there's the retail industry and it's a question of how joined up they are we can we can have them separate but it's the supply business that i think is all uh, it's just a dog dinner right now yeah uh, here's an absolute beauty peak meat dale and this also involves a vegan hospital uh, yeah 11 of them actually but this peak meat story is a beauty as you say i mean we've we've talked about peak oil for a long time uh, you know we're going to face peak everything's before very long um but in this case uh, it's a fantastic story in holland they've found that they're in breach of eu regulations in terms of pollution in, in waterways and uh, for sensitive landscapes and they've come up with a really quite brilliant but also bold idea, which is to restrict the number of cows and other animals that can be farmed in Holland, which is just f***ing brilliant. And 
they're going to actually pay farmers just to shut down, which I think is really generous, right? I mean, you, if you remember the 70s when we shut, or when Thatcher shut the coal mines in Britain, she didn't pay anybody anything. She just created social devastation. The Dutch are going to pay farmers uh, to, to stop their emissions, uh, to, to stop farming animals and set an absolute limit on the number of animals that can be farmed. And I think reduce that over time. And they're talking about peak meat in these terms and saying that the U.S. has a big challenge as one of the biggest meat producers in the world because the planet just can't sustain the growing amount of meat that's being farmed on it, quite, quite frankly. But within that story was one about 11 New York hospitals that have gone vegan by default on their menus. And so you can still have meat if you ask for it, but 60% of people are taking the vegan option with a 95% satisfaction rate, which I think is amazing. It's a little bit like what FGR did at football, except we only have a vegan option. But when people get to try it, they love it. I did want, because I saw this story and I did wonder whether it was because people were being a little more ethical with their choices and they thought I'm in hospital, so therefore (laughs) if ever there was a green light to be healthy, it's right now. Or whether they've just seen the shocking state of what passes for meat in a hospital (laughs) and thought this for a game of soldiers i ain't eating that looks like a bat (laughs) well that's interesting because somebody involved in this made made a great point that actually most of the time people aren't making a choice to eat meat because it's all they're being offered um and you know it's not it's not actually a choice that maybe a lot of people want and when you when you default to vegan and you have to ask for meat then it flips around completely also saying that that's culturally more appropriate as well for the population of new york because plant-based food is a big thing in in so many countries and cultures of the world it's a really interesting story this question comes from Claire on Twitter. It says, Dale, are you heading to Davos this week? <laughs> well, I'm going to be nearby, but the old coal-fired chopper won't quite make the trip. I'm <laughs> so instead, I'm taking the train to see Arnie, which isn't far from Davos, as I understand it. But, you know, I, I don't think I really fancy it. Have you ever been? Have you been invited to Davos? No, I haven't. No. Because this is the World Economic Forum, right? Yeah, that's right. But, you know, self-described. I mean, I don't know who runs it. I don't know what kind of legitimacy they have. I think you have to be, like, uh, rich, uh, successful. You know. I, think, I think it's something like the 500 richest companies get. I mean, the World Economic Forum is essentially a lobby group that obviously introduced big business to government, as lobby groups do. So they're not alone in that. It's run, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for conspiracy theorists, <laughs> by a man called... Klaus Schwab. Schwab and Klaus Schwab if ever there was a Bond villain waiting to happen it's dear old Klaus and of course the theory goes because we get lots of calls on this the, the World Economic Forum are actually running the world uh-huh. yeah. secretly yes. and they're just you know governments and prime ministers and presidents just do what Klaus hmm. asks it's bollocks by the way but yes I mean there's certainly some merit in the fact that lobby groups are too close to government and there's certainly merit in the idea that there are people influencing governments. I think of Murdoch, for example, you know, the guy with the chewed up walnut looking face. He, you know, he's the guy that every incoming prime minister in Britain wants to meet to get him on board because of his media clout, because he owns most of the media in Britain. So, you know, the idea of conspiracy theories uh, is not detached from reality. I don't think the, the WEF, uh, World Economic Forum, are, are necessarily running the world, but there's no doubt that they've got big clout. Yeah. Well, I guess, but you could also turn it on its head, couldn't you, and say it would be really weird if the biggest companies in the world didn't meet up and talk. Well, yeah, you could say that, right? And and actually, it'd be weird if government didn't listen to them because... Well, indeed. Yeah. I mean, governments don't invent anything. They don't innovate. They don't engineer. That's they true. just rely, obviously, on you know people like yourself, Dale, yes. to, 
to come up with ideas and solutions. As a politician said to me only a couple of months ago, he said, I'm a politician. I don't have ideas. <laughs> I need- well, indeed. I mean, that, that is the brutal reality is that we have this kind of slightly false sense of that is what a government's going to do for us, that they're going to solve all these problems. But actually, when you think about it, I mean, they don't really solve anything. They, they put together, they cobble together a sort of loose roadmap of how life is meant to rub along. But in terms of making stuff happen, It's us lot that do that. Well, if you look at our experience the last 13 years of Tory rule in Britain, then I have to say you're absolutely right. Nothing has happened. We've gone backwards on so many things. We're opening coal mines now, like, you know, it's the start of the Industrial Revolution, the old one. So we can say you're not off to Davos then. Yeah, not Davos. I'm off to see Arnie, innit? Right? And it was going to be much more fun. Much more fun. Yet it was either Klaus or Arnie. And I, I, I don't want to be, yeah. Arnie is it's a no-brainer simple as that Um, the United States backs appointment of UAE oil chief to oversee COP28 now when I saw this headline I thought oh it's obviously a joke Um, (laughs) but it isn't (laughs) I'm just laughing at your naivety (laughs) my bad (laughs) (laughs) no but there's nothing wrong with that so what's going on here well so the guy that runs the state oil company there has been appointed as like the leader of COP28, which is an important role. Um, and environmentalists are up in arms. They're saying things like, uh, it's like giving an arms dealer the leading role in, a, in, in peace talks, right? They're, they're, yeah. Do they want peace? Um, probably not. And uh, Kerry, John Kerry has, has kind of jumped in and said, no, no, it's going to be okay because like this, uh, you know, this big oil company is important uh, and actually they're transitioning to renewables and it'll be all right, basically. The spotlight will be on them and it'll be all right. But uh, activists are fearing that nothing will get done. Uh, a little bit like in Egypt when even with the backing of countries like the US and India, it wasn't possible to get an end of oil and, uh, and uh, coal on the, you know, on the outcome of, of the climate talks. Uh, so they're, they're just... Um, Afraid of that, and John Kerry saying now, nah, "Be all right, Gov. What are you going to so do?" So this is so he's kind of like the Alex Sharma of the piece for this one. That's right. That's right. He'll be the leader. I mean, I get it. I, I can understand why there might be people like him at COP twenty eight because you need that kind of engagement in order to make change. Isn't it? Isn't it? I, I, I see that, but to be running the darn thing. Someone's taking the piss, aren't they? <laughs> I think you're probably right. It's normally a job reserved for diplomats and, uh, and, and that kind of person because it's a very difficult job to balance the, uh, you know, the arguments of everybody. I mean, if you go back to COP4 when the Global Climate Coalition were uh, at work, you know, doing their kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, this might have been stuff of their wildest dreams that one of them, the boss of a big oil company, could actually, you know, run the show. I, I, yeah. They didn't even dream of that. Curious. One here from Hannah on LinkedIn who says, are you still buying gas from Gazprom? Have you managed to dump them yet? What's the Give us the background to the question first. Uh. Well, I, I think the background to this is the invasion of Ukraine by Russia last February. A lot of hoo-ha about sanctions and stuff like that. One of those was about uh, Gazprom. I think 4% of Britain's gas came from Russia from that company. It was 40% for Europe, so they had a bigger problem. And yeah, I think it was one of the things a lot of people said uh, while trying to boycott everything Russian. We had some contracts with Gazprom. If we'd have broken them, we'd have paid them millions of pounds, which surely wasn't the objective. The objective was not to help them. And so we said we'd let them run out, and that's what's happening. Uh, Here's a question from Andy on Twitter, which is more of a comment than a question, Dale. Just finished Manifesto on Audible. Absolutely magnificent, profound, and inspiring. You might be the hero we wanted. In fact, you're the hero we need. Wow. There's some smoke blown right there, Dale. 
Yeah, what can I say? What an amazing uh, bunch of things to say. Thank you very much is all I can really say. Thank you for that. Uh, Christopher on Facebook, how long till Farage and crew wake up to the financial benefits of net zero? How often have you and I talked about this, Dale? That, you know, even if you are just a massively capitalist right wing Tory, embrace this stuff because there's good business sense in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've spent some time uh, on these on these right wing shows. I was with Farage about a week ago. Um, and I remember saying to people afterwards, I think the guy's persuadable. I think he's got the interests of the country at heart. He might always might not always uh, be right right in in other people's eyes, like Brexit. He, he thought it was going to be good for us, and obviously it's been anything. But but if we can get him to understand that energy independence is a thing that we can do, he thinks we don't have enough wind and sun, which we do, and then he thinks that the grid can't take it 100%, which it can. And this is what I talk to him every time I, I go on the air with him. If we can persuade him that it's doable and that it's much better for us economically then i think we can get people like him on board and um, that's the guy he's got an audience that we need to persuade so i think yeah you know it's worth doing and I, I do believe it's actually possible because he ended his interview last week with me by saying look i'm a bit skeptical about renewable energy but if it gives us cheap energy then then i'm for it so i mean there's an open door there yeah he then gave you a big hug and said i love you dad <laughs> something like that well, yeah, well, added that. Yeah, well, let's have a beer sometime or something. <laughs> and just a final point dale the good law project you're off to the courthouse yes we are i think it's off to the supreme court um we are attempting to overturn uh, a decision in in a case that's been rumbling on for quite a while a farmer on the river why um has got permission for a shed for like i don't know 200 cows or something but has already said he wants to stick five thousand pigs in there and uh, he got permission i think on appeal i'm not really sure but we are challenging the decision of the inspector and and i think the decision of a lower court as well that it's okay and we've got um Two reasons for that. One is they failed to take in the cumulative impact. So this one shed on its own, they looked at that and said, yeah, the river Y can take that, which is a dumb thing to do, right? We all know that cumulative impact is a, is a real thing. But the second is the precautionary principle. And this is the one we really want to win because as of yet, that doesn't feature in planning consents for things like industrial animal farms. But if it did, we think we wouldn't have any new ones now. So we're uh-huh. hoping, to, hoping to win that argument at the Supreme Court. And when are you there? Well, it started now. We started last week. Okay. Um, so uh, I, think it, I think it won't be long. I mean, I'm not an expert in the process, but because the case has been running for a couple of years, we're just at the point now where we had probably a couple of weeks to intervene uh, and seek to uh, overturn the, the decision of the lower court. And we're doing that now. Got it. Uh, that's it for this episode. Del, have a cracking time in Austria. Um, say hello to Arnie for us, won't you? I'm going <laughs> to. Absolutely going to. I might challenge him to an arm wrestle just for a joke, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Absolutely. We need to get him on the podcast as well, don't forget. I'm hoping to get a quote from him to bring back with me for next week's episode. Some people bring back a stick of rock. (laughs) We bring back a piece of of Arnie. We hope. We hope. (laughs) Have a cracking trip, Dale. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there, too. And if you want to get in touch, you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit as well. Follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and all over Instagram and TikTok too. Zero Carbon East off.